moment's time. Valuing what God values. Valuing what God values. And uh, while we are, uh, we've got our Bibles open and ready to hear God's word, let's just bow before him in prayer and ask for his help. Father in heaven, God, we again come to you empty. Empty, Lord, because we, we have been listening to so many voices in the week, Lord. TV's been on, the radio's been on. Colleagues at work, people and friends, Lord, have been speaking to us. Lord, we've heard many, many voices this week. But today, Lord, we want to hear your voice. Lord, we want to hear what you have to say. So, Lord, as we come, Lord, we come, Father God, empty, because we haven't filled ourselves with your word. And so we come asking you, oh God, to speak. I thank you, Lord, that in the stillness, in the quietness, I thank you, Lord, that you only need one moment to change a life. One word, Lord God, to bring life. Just a, a word from you, Lord, can bring light. God, we pray that we might have life and light this morning. God, please speak, we pray. Use broken vessels once again. Use ears, Lord God Almighty, that have been closed to you so long. Touch them today. Soften our hearts, oh God, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I've been saying, um, this parable, Jesus has been speaking a parable in chapter 16. And the point of this whole parable really is using your worldly wealth wisely. Whatever wealth you have, and we all have got a certain amount of wealth, whether you own £100 a week or whether you own £200 or more pounds a week, we all have got a certain amount of wealth that is ours to control. And the point of that parable was to use that wealth wisely. And so Jesus turns around and he says... Um, in that parable, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. So that when it is gone, you will be welcome into eternal dwelling. There was a, a woman in the news recently who won a £74 million divorce settlement. When the judge asked her, why do you need 74 million pounds as a divorce settlement? She says, well, I need at least 40,000 pounds a year to buy coats. I also need at least 21,000 pounds a year to buy shoes. And I also need about 3,000 pounds a year to buy salad from Marks and Spencers. She's definitely not using her wealth to gain friends. She's using her wealth to spend on herself. And Jesus is saying, use money 
wisely. Use your, the money that you have, whatever it is, use it wisely to bless others, he's saying. Use your wealth wisely to gain friends. Maybe those friends that you are going to gain may not be the friends that others think you should have. They may not be the friends who drive the same car you drive. They may not be the friends who who eat in the same restaurants that you eat or wear the same clothes that you wear. They may be poor. They may never be able to say thank you to you for blessing them, but use your wealth, whatever it is, to bless and to gain friends that others might despise and reject. That's what Jesus is saying. Use worldly wealth to gain friends because when your wealth is gone, and it will certainly will go. Either you will leave it or it will leave you. But when your wealth is gone, Jesus says, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What did he say? Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, or many rooms. If it was not so, I would have told you. There's dwellings you can be welcomed into. And so Jesus makes it very, very clear. Because he's, he's speaking this parable because there were people who were listening to him who loved money. And so my first heading, of course, has to be the love of money. You may be surprised that religious men love money, but they do. Look what Jesus will happen. The Pharisees who loved money, let me just stop right there. They were the religious men of the day. They were the men who um, have the word of God. They had the Bible. They had the Old Testament. They meant to teach the word of God in faithfulness and in honesty and integrity. But Jesus says, here we read, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and they were sneering at Jesus. Here we read that these men, they hated hearing that they had to use their worldly wealth to gain friends that they don't really want to have friendship with. They were sneering at Jesus because Jesus was telling them to use whatever wealth they have to bless others. And if they do not do that, then they are not going to sit down in the kingdom of God. And that's what they really want to do. They want to be in the glory of God. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be in God's presence, in God's glory, in God's kingdom, being welcomed into eternal dwellings, then use whatever wealth you have to gain friends, to bless others that no one else wants to gain or bless. Now, I can preach this morning, I can preach this morning on those multi-millionaire pastors who drive private jets to preach the gospel to poor people in third world countries. I can preach on that, but I'm not going there. I can preach this morning on churches that foster greed in their congregation and tell the congregation that God wants them rich. I can preach on that, but I'm not going to preach on that. I can preach 
this morning on people who only give to God in order to get more back from God. I can preach on that this morning. But I'm not going to preach on that. I'm going to stick with what Jesus sticks with this morning. And Jesus turns around and says this. Let me read the whole verse. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. Here it is. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. What men value highly is detestable in God's sight. What men value the most, God hates the most. Let's start right there because, you know, when I think of that woman who happily spent 40,000 pounds on coats and 21,000 pounds on shoes, and when she wears her fancy shoes, everybody will say, oh, what a lovely pair of sparkling shoes you have. And they get so excited about their shoes. But what does God think about her fur coats and her sparkly shoes? Is what I want to find out. Or I can take a drive down to Knightsbridge or Chelsea. And you will see those fancy lights. And you will see those fancy shop windows. And you will see Harrods down there. And and, and Harvey Nichols down there. And you see some very posh places down there. And people will go there and they will come out with a little green bag from Harrods. And they're so pleased they've got a green bag with the name Harrods written on it. But I want to know, what does God think about these things? That's what I want to know about. Man esteems these things. Why not take a walk around London, around the financial area? You will go there, you will see Canary Wharf, you will see the Gherkin, you will see the tall glass building with HSBC on the top of it, you will see men and women coming out with fancy suits and and, and clean attire and working with the greatest technology, making loads of money in the financial markets. But my thought is men highly esteem that, all want to be where the money men are. But I ask myself, what does God think about that. I can go on and take you down to Chancery Lane or down to Hatton Garden and I can show you some diamonds and some pearls, some gold jewelry. You know, there's some diamonds that are being presented there that people will kill for. People will steal for. In fact, these diamonds, God knows where all of them are. They're buried in the deepest sea. He knows where diamonds are. But men will die for them. And I ask myself, what does God, what would God, what does God think about what men highly value? They value these things. They love those things. But what does God think about them? Kim and I were speaking earlier on this week and we heard about a mother who had two children. She was dating a very wealthy man at the time and the wealthy man said to her, this is a true story, it was in the news, this wealthy man said to her, you know what, I, you know, I like you very much but 
we're, we're not compatible together because, you know, you've got children. And so, you know, I don't want to proceed with a relationship. The woman went away. Sadly, she killed her two children. Drowned them in the car. So she could be with the person that she wanted to be. The question is, why does God hate it so much? Why does God don't value the things men value? Why don't God look at these things and say, well, you like them, I like them too. Why has God got a different opinion about these things? I'll tell you why. Because God knows that men love them so much. They bow down to them. They worship them. They obey them. They are ruled by them. They are led by them. And because men and women are ruled and led by all these things and highly value them, God says, you know what, all these things you value, I hate them. They're detestable to me. What's highly esteemed and valued by men is worthless to God. Now, I need to say, having money, we've all got a measure of wealth. I hope we've all got a measure of wealth. We've all got some money in the bank. We've all got some savings. We've all got our cars parked in the car park. We've all got a house. Bless the Lord. I want to say this, that money is no problem at all. But when these things become greater and more valuable than God, then they become a stumbling block which may lead a man or a woman not to end up in glory, but to end up in hell. They become a stumbling block. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying having wealth and money is not a problem. But when you love the whole thing, whatever small thing you have, you might only have a hundred pounds, but you love your hundred pounds. The Lord turns around and says, that's a stumbling block that can bring you into the fires of hell. And that brings me into my second heading. Because now Jesus separates, my second heading is separated from money, because Jesus now brings his teaching from the theory and he brings it into the practical domain of storytelling. And I like that. Jesus gives the doctrine, he gives the teaching, and after he teaches, he now brings the whole thing into a practical storytelling parable for you to understand. And so here's the parable in verse 19. And first of all, he turns around and describes the first man. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Oh, that is what everybody wants. Hey, I want to be like that man. Hey, I want to do what he's doing. What is he doing? He's dressed in fine linen. He's dressed in purple. And um, almost I had that purple shirt on today. But he's, he's dressed so fine. And he's, and he's living in luxury every single day. That's what the men will say of the world. That's who I want to be. And we all look at the TV and, and we see the Morning shows when they say things, you know, you can win a hundred thousand pounds, just dial that number. Everybody's dialing that number. Because this man, according to the world's perspective, is where everybody wants to be. 
But there's another man in the story. This will be the other man. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Man, I don't want to be him. No way do I want to be like him. Do you know what the name Lazarus, do you know what the name Lazarus means? The word, the name Lazarus means God is my helper. That's what it means. You look at his life, you feel, oh man, I don't want to be like him. He's a beggar. He's laying on the, on the floor and, and he's covered in sores and he wants to eat the rich man's food from the, from the table. I don't want to be like him. Now can you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is putting two men in contrast. The stark differences. Two men. Two extreme situations. Two completely different circumstances. One extremely rich. The other extremely poor. One valued by men. The other despised by men. That's the parable. And then Jesus turns around and says in this parable, well, the time came when a beggar died and the angel carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. They both had one thing in common. This rich man and Lazarus, the one thing they had in common was they both died. And they both died. No matter how many toys you have in your life, you'll still end up dying. No matter how little you have in your life, you'll still end up dying. And the important thing that Jesus wants to get across is what happened after they died. You see, Jesus puts the words in Abraham's mouth and he says, Abraham says to him, during your lifetime, speaking to the rich man, during your lifetime, do you know life has a time to it? Your life and my life have a hands on it that goes round and the time that we have is allocated to every single one of us. Our life has a time. And when that time runs out, there's no more time. The Bible says that Lazarus was carried into glory. This man whose name means God is my helper Isn't it interesting that his name is given in the story, but the rich man has no name. We don't know what his name is, but Lazarus, whose name is God is my helper, he dies, and the Bible says, the angels carried him to Abraham's side. What happened to the rich man? In Hades or in hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. The rich man was alive and conscious in hell. He was tormented 
There was pain. He looks. He feels. He sees. He speaks. And he cries out to Abraham, Abraham, help me. The pain, the sorrow, the regret. Why was that on his mind? Why was the sorrow and the pain and the regret on him? Well, Abraham turns around and says, Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime, when you had a time in life, you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. You know, Jesus is speaking here. He's telling you something. You know what he's telling you something? He's telling you something about hell. You know, I don't want to be, I don't model myself of being a hellfire preacher. You know, one of these preachers who will preach hellfire from the pulpit. I don't model myself in being a hellfire preacher. But you know what? Jesus is a hellfire preacher. If anybody preaches on hell, I want to tell you something. Jesus speaks more about it than anybody else. He was a hell preacher. And in his preaching, he turns around and he says, look at hell. And these are Jesus' words. Hell is a place of torment. Hell is a place where there's no pity. Hell is a place of fire. Hell is a place of no comfort or no relief. Hell is a place of agony and of separation. Let Jesus speak about hell. I don't need to speak about it. Let Jesus speak about hell because hell is a place where Christ wants you to avoid. That's why he probably speaks about it. He knows. I don't know what hell is really like, but Jesus knows what it's really like and he speaks about it because he wants men to avoid going there. I fear that hell is very unfashionable today. You won't hear many churches speaking about hell. I think preachers will much rather find a, a fashionable thing to talk about to make people feel good about themselves. Don't talk to me about hell, but talk to me about heaven. Ah, oh, I can listen about heaven all day long. Tell me about the streets of gold. Tell me about the pearly gates. Tell me about the mansions with many rooms. Speak to me about heaven all day long, but don't talk to me about hell. I don't want to speak about it. It's not very fashionable, but I want to tell you, I don't need to preach about hell. Jesus, in his parable, describes it for us. And the sad thing is, this rich man, when he was alive, or this man with wealth, any kind of wealth. I don't want you to think, that, oh, this applies to the rich people. It doesn't apply to me. It applies to every single person who has any amount of wealth. This man had wealth, and while he had wealth, he was feeling fine. But it came a time when the money in him was separated. His wealth left him, or he left his wealth, and he found himself in a place where Jesus doesn't want him to go. Doesn't want you to go. He finds himself in hell. And that brings me to my final point, really. 
in his parable. When money is worthless. Do you know it's amazing? Because when this rich man was alive, I can just see him in my mind's eye. I can see him sitting in his table, dressed in purple and fine clothes. And I can see him saying to his servants, bring me the fatted bull. The fatted bull was killed and brought to him. Bring me some fruit. Bring me some more wine. Bring me some more bread. Anything he wanted, it was being brought to him. Money was no worry, no problem. What he wanted was only a shout away. But now this rich man is in hell. And he wants Lazarus to do something for him. Money is worthless in hell. The rich man, knowing that his fate is sealed, he knows that he's not getting out of this place. He speaks and he says that he has five brothers. Look what he says. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. So here is um, the man and he says, you know, okay, send Lazarus. I mean, I used to order people around. In fact, that's my job when I was there on, on the earth. But, but now I'm in hell. I, I still think I can order you to do something for me. Send Lazarus because I have five brothers. And I don't want them to come to this place. I have five family members and I don't want them to end up where I am ended up in torment and in pain and in tears I don't want it he says send Lazarus to my family you know I've spoken to people who had friends and family who are not saved they're not born again and they said, well, when, my, when my mother died, they said, when my mother died, she wasn't a Christian. When my dad or my brother, they weren't Christians. And they said things like, you know, I don't want to die and go where they're not. I want to be with them. When I die, I want to be with my mum. When I die, I want to be with my brother. When I die, I want to be. That's understandable. But the people in hell who died without being born again, are crying out, don't come here. Don't come here. If I can speak to you again, I will say to you, do not come here. Please, I'm begging you, don't do what I do. Don't value the things of this world more than you value the things of the world to come. Don't value the things of this world more than you value Christ. Don't do it. Don't come here. That is what they will be preaching from hell. Don't come here. I don't want you to suffer the way I'm suffering. Don't come here. Jesus is saying here that those in hell don't want anyone else to join them. Send someone to speak to my brothers, he says. Send them over that they may tell my brothers to value things differently while they're living because they've only got a short amount of time. Isn't it amazing that these um, 
clairvoyance. You know those people who contact the dead or claim to contact the dead? Isn't it amazing that they get your money and they get you into a room and they contact the dead? And when a dead person arrives, they never say, don't come to hell. They don't say that, do they? And the guy's sitting there saying things like, well, ask him, where did he bury the money? You know, what floorboard was it under? But they're still valuing the things of here. And these clairvoyances, you know, they're liars anyway. And they're, they're working from the devil point of view anyway. And so they're keeping you close to what's the truth. Because if someone did rise from the dead and speak, what they will be saying is, don't come here. Well, the rich man, he wasn't done because um, he says to Abraham, okay, Abraham, he speaks to Abraham. Let me get a finger. Yep. No father Abraham, he said. Said Lazarus before. No father, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. If they had someone from the dead rise again, then they will change their minds. Never mind Moses. Never mind the prophets. If someone from the dead rose, then they will change, repent, change their thinking, change their lifestyle. But not only do people today have the Old Testament. Not only do people today have the New Testament. They have more than Moses and the prophets. They have more than what this man had. The fact that the Bible tells me there came a day in Jesus' life. And here it is. Where there was a violent earthquake. Jesus was buried. He died on the cross. And now he's buried in the tomb. And the Bible says there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat on it. And after he sat on it, he says, he is not here. Who is not here? Jesus is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead. There was someone who was risen from the dead. The rich man said, send Lazarus. Because if they saw someone who raised from the dead, they will repent. And now Jesus has been risen from the dead. He's alive this morning. But are people repenting? Are people changing the way of their lives? Our people turn around and saying, because Christ is raised from the dead, I know there's life. We couldn't find his body. His corpse is nowhere around. There was at least 500 witnesses who witnessed the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Men who followed him, who were scared and timid after the resurrection, was bold like lions and died for the fact that they saw Christ. Unquestionably, the Lord is alive today. But are people turning from their sins? Are people repenting? What about you this morning? Are you saying to yourself, 
I'm not going to end up with a rich man ended up. No, 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 not for me. No, I'm going to begin this day. Whatever wealth God has given me, I'm going to begin this day to value what God values. From this day, I'm going to not hold so highly what other men hold highly. They look at these things, the diamonds, the pearls, the fur coat, the shoes, the houses, the cars. They look at the, 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 the buildings and the shops and they look at these things and say, oh, these are wonderful. But God says, I'm going to burn it all down. Don't value that because it will go as surely as the wind blows. It will go. But value something else. Value what I value. Love the things that I love. Look toward the thing that I look to. And like Lazarus, whose name means God is my helper. Let God be your helper. Let God be the one you turn to. Let God be the one you rely upon. Let God be the one that you lean on all the time. Don't lean on your bank balance. Don't lean on your nice, smooth motor vehicle. Don't lean on your fur coats and your shiny, sparkling shoes. These things will all go in time. But lean on the eternal God who's faithful and true. Never let you down. But when you finally die, and we all are going to follow the way of men. When we finally die, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Praise be to God. That's what I want. I pray that you will also desire that too. Let's pray. Father, I said last week, Lord, help us to love the things you love and to hate the things you hate. And Lord, although I know, Father, that you give us the things that we need, we have bank balances, we have clothes, we have cars, we have houses, and for all these things we thank you for. Because we know these things, Lord God, are given as gifts from you to us. But I know, Lord, you do not want us to love these things. But you want us to love you, oh God. And you want us to value you more than we value anything else in our lives. So God, I pray today, Lord, that the preaching of Jesus about hell and the realities of it, Lord, will cause us to turn around and say, I don't want to be there. I don't want to go there. I don't want to, 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 to end my, my, my rest of my eternity where you don't want me to be. I don't want that for myself. And Lord, if we were only to hear even those who've gone before us cry out saying, don't come. I pray that your spirit today, Lord, will use every means to bring conviction into our hearts and to soften our hearts and minds, Lord. That when we think about 
salvation, Lord, we will not think twice about saying, oh, Lord, come into my life. When we think about our money and we think about our pockets, Lord, we will be thinking about how can I use it, Lord, to bring honor and praise and glory to you and to you alone. Not how I can feather my own bed. Not how I can comfortable, make my life more comfortable. No, no, Lord. How can I use it, Lord, in order to bless others less fortunate than I? God Almighty, you have spoken today. And I pray, Lord, that there will be rejoicing here because we have obeyed the word of God. We've embraced the teaching of Christ. We have said, Lord, I want you more than anything else. In Jesus' name, amen.